0: You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits.
1: Jerry and Tracy, Polly, and their dog, Ninja.
0: Welcome to episode 91 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. My name is Jerry and I'm joined by my wife, Tracy.
2: Hello, guys. Hope you all had a fabulous weekend. We sure did.
0: Yes, absolutely we did. We had our live event at Waverly that we've been talking about for about four or five months And it couldn't have been more perfect. Great weather, sold out crowd. Everybody was happy. We had History Goes Bump with uh, Diane Student there. We had Mike Brown from Pleasing Terrors. They both did shows. We was lucky enough to have Dina Marie from Twisted Philly and uh, Jeremy Collins from um, a podcast we listened to. They came and kind of emceed the event a little bit, talked about the Potter and Love uh, Festival that's going on. In, what is it, August the 8th through the yep. 10th in New Orleans. Uh, by the way, you can get tickets by going to Love and putting in Hillbilly as your uh, code. And you can save a little bit of money on the tickets. I think it's 10%. Oh, well,
2: that's good.
0: But uh, just drop our name. Tell them you want like an 80% discount. They'll tell you no, but it sounded cool.
2: <laughs> Why not?
0: But not, no, it was a super fun event. And we, uh, we did a live event. And then we went to Waverly Hills and did uh, four hours worth of tours. Tracy and I did. I like think we were the only one that did two tours and uh my feet killed me at the end of the night.
2: My back killed me.
0: There's a lot of steps in that place. There
2: is a lot of steps. Of course I wore stupid flat shoes. That didn't help matters, but <laughs> but it was worth it was well worth it.
0: It was so awesome to be able to meet so many listeners from all over the country. I mean, literally we had people from Wyoming, a couple of different sets from Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Texas uh, Texas Michigan. Tennessee Michigan yeah I mean
2: that was crazy
0: uh Virginia uh Florida oh I mean it was just absolutely amazing how many people uh, came from all over to this event and like I said we had fun and uh you guys show up in droves Zachary showed up with his uh shower curtain with his shower curtain for us to autograph which uh I can't imagine, other than maybe Martha Stewart, there's been too many people asked to autograph a shower curtain.
2: That's true. And he's so dang cute. Like, I swear, he's so cute.
0: (laughs) But uh, now we got a lot of great pictures. We threw them up on the website. And we got a whole lot of stuff to tell you, because obviously this is going to be the last redo, revisit, that we're doing, uh, Tracy and I, of the old shows that Ricky and I did, and that's Waverly. And uh, obviously we planned it for this weekend. and. It's cool because if you were at the show, uh, this will be a little bit different than what you heard. Because, uh, but it, it kind of won't. Because they <laughs> talking about. Because then you went through the tour and you got it. But, but for those of you out there listening, um, you'll get more to the story than what the people at the live show got because we learned a bunch of stuff while we were at yeah, Waverly that we're now going to add to this show. Mm-hmm.
2: That's cause, cool. Because
0: we never stop. That's what we do. We never stop growing for you guys.
2: Yeah yeah
0: but God, it was so much fun. Yeah, I mean it was it's a just blast. you guys make us feel like superheroes, and mm-hmm. we can't thank you enough.
2: yeah, and I know Diane and Mike feel the same way and man, what an honor to be in the same room with them too.
0: Absolutely. and then you got you know Dina from Twisted Filiny Oh, yeah and, Dina and was great Jeremy, who just happens to run the biggest damn podcast group <laughs> on Facebook.
2: I know it's cool. I it's mean it's cool.
0: you know it's it was uh we were surrounded. All night by podcast greatness.
2: Yes, so. and we loved it, and we appreciate you guys so much for taking your time to come out and hang with us, and it was a blast.
0: So let's get jumping on this thing because we've got a lot of stuff to cover with you. We're running on fumes, and you know that typically uh, means a really extra goofy show <laughs>
2: because <laughs> we didn't
0: get, we didn't get back to the uh, where we were staying at last night until one thirty two ish. Mm-hmm. By the time we actually got to bed. And then we got up bright and early because, unfortunately, we had a, um, a funeral visitation to go to up in Louisville. So we got that knocked out, and then we came back and did a little interview that we're going to put at the end of this show. Uh, Chelsea from California has been a long time listener. She had a very strange, uh, I guess, group of occurrences happen in her house, and she reached out to me for help. And uh, I have no clue what the hell to do because uh, <laughs> all I do is talk about ghosts, but if it comes to getting rid of them, I, you know.
2: You say shoo, ghost get yeah. out of here.
0: Yeah, I have no idea. You know, <laughs> leave that sheet alone. I just washed that. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to do. I know, you but know. it's
2: so cool that. You, but that, we they, know people through yeah. this
0: show. I mean, we we've been so honored to to meet people who, you know, we've been able to talk to you know the most famous exorcist in the United States. How many people can say that? But by the way, I didn't bother him with this. I thought that might have been a little uh, below his pay grade. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I did have a listener. Uh, that I know has shared a lot of information with us with being able to help in those situations. Yeah, so definitely. I just hooked them two up, and uh, we'll, we'll hear all about it in the interview. We'll be able to hear everything that went on. But it's a it's a fun little interview just to stick at the end of the show and give you guys a little extra something. If you did come yesterday, you'll get something extra that you get, didn't get a chance to hear. Cool. So, Tracy, would you like to... Uh-
2: Thank the military. Yes, I would. Um, military, <laughs> civil servants i mean we love you guys we worry about you guys every single day fighting for our country and protecting us every day i just it's amazing to me how you guys even do it but i don't know i just really appreciate you guys so much and i know everybody out there does but we just want to say an extra prayer for you which we do every day just to be safe and thank you for protecting us
0: And then, as promised last week, a a new addition to the beginning of the show is we just want to make sure that people realize if um, you feel like you you need to talk to somebody, you feel like you're in a dark spot in life and don't know where to turn, there are uh, options out there. Talk to a friend. Your true friends will definitely want to hear uh, what you got going on uh, you need that support in life but if you don't have the friends or family members or don't feel comfortable uh, there's the uh, suicide prevention hotlines out there uh, i'm going to give out the one for the united states one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. 273 8255 and as always you can reach out to tracy and i whether it be by phone or by email or uh, facebook twitter however you feel comfortable doing it but uh, feel free to reach out to us because we definitely would much rather uh, talk to you guys and have a chance to help the situation and then to find out later something horrible happened to one of you guys. We love you, your family, to us. Amen. So with that, we'll transition into uh, extended family, which will be our Patreon users.
2: Um, we have like a butt ton of reviews and uh, Patreons. Our reviews came from a fan for a long time, Goofy. Word Player seventy Emmy Lee Newman Dolly Online Faded Rabbit Monster Movie Man B two nine zero 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 Chief the Tool Chevy C twenty Bullmanda ninety Stitch Girl zero one two two and horse crazy mama Thank you guys so much All the reviews were really really good Except one, but that's okay. Um, And then our Patreons this week is Anthony Ward, Jessica Young, Justin Podorf, Marie Payne, and Lisa. Thank you guys so, so very much for your support. We appreciate you. And I'm sorry Ninja was barking in the background. I hope you guys heard your name okay. And we just appreciate you guys so much. And like I said before 100,000 times, I know we keep repeating ourselves. But we absolutely love the reviews. We absolutely love the Patreons. And we just love all of you. So I don't even know what else to say. Just we love you.
0: Okay. Uh, With that being said, we got one more quick announcement. We have a a listener that wrote us, said that her husband's birthday is tomorrow, which if you're listening to this on a different day, it won't count, but it's Monday uh, is his birthday. And we wanted to say a special happy birthday to German Chacon.
2: Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear German, happy birthday to you. Oh,
0: put A little bit of a country flair into that. All right, so let's jump into this story. As usual, on a lot of these stories, we will tell you what the urban legends are, what the stories are that are going around, and then we'll try to uh, add some of the more truthful answers into it as we go.
2: Yeah, we found out a lot of cool information last night.
0: Yep, so Waverly started out as a two-story frame building on uh, Pages Lane in Louisville, Kentucky, on July 26, 1910. It was designed to hold about 40 or 50 TB patients. At this time, people who had TB were kind of uh, like outcast in society and they were pretty much quarantined and uh, they had to stay away from the rest of society because it was very, very contagious so mm-hmm. that was you know what they did with it. they just kept them away from everybody else so they kept them in this hospital where that's all they did was treat TB. Now tuberculosis is known as the white plague or some people will um, know it as consumption and they would call it consumption uh, back in the day because your body seemed to be consumed because you would waste away to nothing. So that's why they called it consumption. Oh. TB is a bacterial infection that's caused by breathing in air that contains Mycobacterium tuberculosa. And sounds like I'm a doctor doing it.
2: It sure does.
0: <laughs> but the bacteria eats away at the lungs and it caused roughly 2 billion deaths.
2: Man, that's terrible. Ooh. So
0: it was therefore known as the plague of all plagues. And as we found out last night, most people know about uh, TB affecting the lungs, but it can affect all different organs of your body and not just your lungs. In the turn of the century, TB ran rampant in uh, Kentucky mainly because it's a warm, damp weather. And as they explained uh, on the tour last night, Kentucky basically is a swamp.
2: (laughs) That's pretty much what
0: it is. It was basically built on a swamp, so that's... You know, you don't think about it that way, but for its conditions as far as Mm -hmm. mosquitoes and TB and stuff like that, there you go. So it was thought that the best way to treat the disease back then was rest and plenty of fresh air. Most of the sanatoriums were built on hills surrounded by peaceful woods to create a serene type atmosphere uh, to help the patients in their recovery. Yes. As PRP and Valley Station, which are two different uh, suburbs of Louisville, became overrun with the illness, they kind of outgrew this original hospital. And like I said, it was designed to only hold forty or fifty people. And at the time they decided to build a new one, they were housing 140 patients there. Right. So like we said, the only thing they could really do at this point in time was to build a bigger hospital. Now they chose land that was on top of a hill for obvious reasons. Like we just said, that's where they you wanted to put put these kind of sanatoriums for TB. So they chose the, some land that was originally owned by a gentleman by the name of Major Thomas Hayes. Now this guy must have had some kind of uh, uh, ability that most of us don't have because he had a daughter and mm-hmm. she needed a school, so he decided to build one. Dang. And <laughs> like I said last that's night, pretty amazing. I, yeah, I don't know if this was a, a, a one-room schoolhouse or a one-kid schoolhouse. I <laughs> so, know,
2: but that's pretty cool though.
0: So he get, he builds the school and uh, he hired a woman by the name of Lizzie Lee Harris to teach there. And she loved the school, and she loved uh, reading these, I guess, novels that were probably popular in the time called Scott's Waverly Novels. mm mm-hmm. And she decided to name the school Waverly School after these novels. And Major Hayes liked the, the name so much that he decided to name the whole property Waverly Hills. Very cool. And that's how it got its name. Now, back when they decided to build the hospital, the board of uh, T V hospital decided to keep the name because they thought it was cool. So when they opened a new hospital, it was known as Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Mm -hmm. Now, because TV was so contagious uh, back then, people with it, they like I said, they they couldn't be around the rest of the population. So if you were going to have a hospital with all these patients, and then you had doctors and nurses and uh, stuff like that, you only go to... You know, reason they're going to be around us and they're probably have a, an excellent chance of carrying this disease also yeah therefore if you were an employee
2: you had to stay
0: you had to stay you lived there there was no going home when you came there you stayed there and the question would be if you had to choose between that and some other job why would you choose a job knowing you're going to be working around highly contagious patients and mm-hmm. you're not you're going to have to live on the site? Well, the answer to that is this was during a rough time. There weren't a lot of jobs, yeah. and if you were going to provide for your family, you had to take what was available. Mm-hmm. So nobody was forced to go there, but at the same time, there weren't many options and mm-hmm. it was better than being in like the on going to the bread lines. Yeah. and soup lines trying to feed your family. Now, Waverly, Because of this reason, because everybody that came there pretty much had to live there, they had to be self sufficient. So, what would that basically mean, Trace?
2: Um, Well, I think they became their own little city um, pretty much only they, I mean, they had their own zip code, they had their own grocery store. You know anything that needed to come to them, that's just it. I mean, you didn't go outside the city limits; you just stayed in that one area, which you know I think is amazing.
0: Yep, they had their own water treatment facility, yes, mm-hmm. their own post office. They grew their own vegetables and fruits. Uh, they had livestock there for meats and dairy product. Like and like you said, they even had their own zip code. That's pretty yeah, that's,
2: cool. That is pretty awesome.
0: Now the strange thing is, at least I thought it was one of the strangest things about the story is we already discussed when you came there, you stayed. For the fact of spreading the thing, spreading the uh, the illness when you left. Yeah. But yet they would have like visitation day for friends and family, and they would come and visit, and they allowed them to leave.
2: Okay, I know we talked about that last night, and that is bizarre. I mean, don't I mean, why would they do that?
0: I have no idea. It makes no sense it whatsoever. It does no
2: sense. I mean, that's just, I don't know.
0: Because if those visitors can come and go.
2: Well, yeah, they're going to take it why, to like, everybody. Well, why can't the
0: employees come and go? Yeah. What's the difference between designation between one and the other?
2: I mean, I don't know unless they just thought, well, you're only going to be visiting for a short amount of time maybe.
0: Yeah. Then maybe
2: you won't get it and they're in there all the time.
0: Well, uh, The new hospital would hold up to 400 patients and as we mm-hmm. found out you know, earlier that's a that's a far cry from
2: oh gosh, the 140
0: yeah. that were being housed there. So it it was the most modern, well equipped hospital um, at the time as far as treating TB. Construction started in March of 1924, and it was completed October 17th, 1926. It was a TB hospital until 1961. About mid to eight, mid to late 40s, the antibiotic that actually would in, eventually Cure TB Mm -hmm. started being tested and and being used. And, you know, by the time the 60s came around, early 60s, it was pretty much eradicated. So there really wasn't much need for a TB hospital anymore. So they decided to close it down. And 1962, it became Woodhaven Geriatric Medical Service. It was basically a nursing home. Mm -hmm. It was closed by the state in 1981. So the place fell into... Pretty much the hands of vandals and the homeless people yeah. and teenagers—they were just looking to have a good time, a party. Yeah, and and, you could
2: definitely tell that in there last oh, night. Oh yeah,
0: without a doubt. Uh, in two thousand and one, Waverly was purchased by Charles and Tina Maddioli. Tina's a sweetheart. I got to talk to her yeah, for a little she bit was last very night. She's sweet. And uh, they spent the last seventeen years making improvements, and the plan, it still is. And they said they're probably about 10 years off as so they're going to turn it into a four-star hotel. But we were able to see at least one room mm-hmm. that's going to be their meeting room that's completely been redone. Yeah, it's
2: so nice. And then you come out and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> you
0: come out into shambles. In oh the my second. gosh,
2: yeah. It's really nice. It's going to be it's gonna be real nice when it's finished.
0: So, why is Waverly haunted? Well, why wouldn't it be? Yeah. Bag. Tens of thousands of people died here. Yeah. There's your first thing. And some say that... There could be as many as sixty thousand who's died there. Wow, that's crazy. Urban, you know, that's more that urban legend stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk more about what actual numbers may be and why they don't really have actual numbers. The people that died there range from TB patients to nurses that committed suicide to the elderly during the nursing home years. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't all just the uh, the I guess TB time that contributed right. to this. It's a little bit of everything. So, as you know, a lot of places that are severely haunted, there's usually some kind of tragedies uh, or mistreatments or something Mm -hmm. that adds to that. And I think part of that is going to be some of the treatments. Now, we already talked about there was fresh air and rest were two of the main things that they felt like would help people get better. And, you know, when they built this thing, the whole outside terrace... Was no windows, yeah. So they could wheel people out there in in wheelchairs on gurneys, set them in chairs, so they could just get fresh air year round. That was the plan.
2: Yes, but some of those people were put out there in May, and they didn't come back inside till like the winter months.
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, that
2: is crazy to me.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, literally stayed the entire time. That's yeah. where their treatments, that's where their meals, everything mm-hmm. was taken care of. So you got those the porches, and that's pretty cool. Um, they believed this method was the best method out of everything that they did. This was what was going to take care of the problem quicker than anything. As Tracy said, they, they would even have them out there in the wintertime. There are pictures that you can find on the Internet, and I'll try to dig some up to put on the site, of people out there sitting and they're covered in snow. They took it to that extreme. Mm-hmm.
2: But they did say they did have electric blankets. So, as I also said, if it was covered in snow, hopefully they didn't get electrocuted with the electric blanket. But that, I mean, that's what, right, what Jerry said. They went to that extreme. Um, in the summertime, they would keep a fan blowing on you mm-hmm. to try to keep, you know, a little bit cool and all. But I just can't imagine.
0: And back then, most places didn't have air conditioning. Yeah, they so, therefore, conditioning. most of the patients weren't used to having air conditioning anyway. So, they so were they used to the heat. And,
2: right. So, they didn't know what they were missing.
0: Yeah. But, it, it, you know, it's funny. They talked about um, they usually closed down at Waverly as far as doing tours because there's no electricity in the building except for a very small part. So, you're kind of got wind blowing in through all these windows and all over the place. So it was chilly last night, so you were chilly on the tour. Mm -hmm. But they closed down around November because it gets really cold. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there thinking, it's funny to think that they closed down in November because it gets really cold in there.
2: Oh, yeah, they have people out on gurneys (laughs) in snow. But you had people
0: sitting out there in December and January. (laughs) You know, I I just, it it amazes me. And the electric blankets had just really started coming Mm -hmm. around, so they weren't even perfected. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny. So another treatment they had was to uh, expose the patient's lungs to ultraviolet rays. And as it was explained to us last night, it was picture this in your head: a room that has a giant heat lamp on it like you would find at a fast food restaurant over top of the food to keep it warm. Just or,
2: to, like, or if you went to a tanning bed is what she said. Yeah, but
0: th- th- it's like a tanning bed, but when you go to a tanning bed, lights. you've got those long bulbs that do that. This is more of like a, mm-hmm. like when you go to a hotel room in the bathroom, oh, and okay. they've got that heat lamp in there. So this was just like a giant um, heat lamp that was on the ceiling that just shone down on you so right. you would get tans and you would yeah. get burns and so stuff they like could, that
2: what do you say they could put like two patients at a time in there Yeah, two,
0: two patients at a time and it just depended on what they needed now the problem obviously with that is ultraviolet rays as they eventually found out only goes so far down but as we discussed the it can affect tb can affect different parts of your body so it wouldn't get into your lungs. It was too deep. If Mm -hmm. you had TB in your lungs, this was not going to help you. But if you had TB of the skin or TB of other parts that were closer to the surface, it actually could help. And it was a viable, um, I guess, Mm -hmm. remedy. Mm -hmm. We'll say (laughs) to to keep it, you know, I I don't know. I don't know if any of that's really a remedy, but you know, if it helped, it helped. So other treatments though, weren't really as, nice as the getting a nice suntan or getting fresh air, even though it could have been cold. Uh, Some of them were pretty barbaric by today's standards, but they felt that they were the proper things to do back then. Uh, In some patients, balloons were implanted into their lungs and filled with air to expand them. As you can imagine, this sometimes um, didn't have the best results because if Mm -hmm. you try to blow up uh, a lung, and inflate it artificially, it's probably there'll be a chance, just like a balloon, you can overinflate it and pop goes the weasel. Yeah. We also found out that another um, form similar to this that they would do is they felt like if you collapsed a lung purposely, which is very excruciating, by the way, but if you collapse a lung, that it would have a chance to heal because it wouldn't be inflating and deflating, inflating and deflating. Mm -hmm. So it would get rest and it could heal. That didn't really work. Now it did work to a certain extent because TB is fueled by oxygen. So when they collapsed the lung, it cut off the oxygen supply to the lung. So in some cases it actually did work, but it wouldn't for the reasons that they thought it would be. It Mm -hmm. wouldn't because the lung was resting. It was because it didn't get the air so it could die off. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it did work sometimes, but, You know, it wasn't the only way. Now, the uh, last way of curing, they would sometimes remove muscles around your chest and remove some ribs. Mm -hmm. And part of that was to allow the lungs more room to expand.
2: Yeah, but they, they took out like six ribs.
0: Yeah, in some cases they did. Uh, but some people actually survived this, and part of it was because from the TB, uh, as we learned last night, there would be uh, scar tissue and stuff that would attach to the um, like the rib muscles and to yeah. the ribs. And when these scar tissue attached, it wouldn't let the rib—I mean the um, uh, lungs—move and expand. Mm-hmm. So you almost had to do this. And they told us a story. As a matter of fact, our tour guide on our first tour that we did last night, uh, his father was actually a patient there and had that happen to him. Wow. They removed the ribs and he was able to uh live a, a life and I think they said he fathered four or five kids.
2: I must have missed that. Probably I was probably looking around for ghosts or something. <laughs> because they said once you took the ribs out though, you were kind of deformed looking in a way.
0: Right. And it was the same time she yeah. was telling this. Oh. But she said that she said because he was he didn't look the greatest in the world he wouldn't really uh um uh, I can't remember the term she used, but, you know, he didn't have a normal shape, so to speak, because ribs and stuff not there to give you a normal shape.
2: Okay, was it the girl tour guide? Because you said the first tour guide.
0: Yeah, the, the girl tour tour guide, but she was talking about our first tour guide. Oh, I
2: didn't So we hear had two
0: then. tour guides last night, but the first guy is her best friend of the tour guide of the second one we had. So mm-hmm. if that's confusing enough.
2: Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I, I actually did hear her say that.
0: So- it did work for some people. And once again, keep in mind, everything that they did, it was strictly for the purpose of uh, trying to help. But then uh, they also had people that would have TB of the brain.
2: Oh, my gosh. And
0: they were using shock therapy on those people um, just because they didn't know what else to do. And shock therapy was kind of thought to be a cure-all for almost anything back then. So they gave it a shot.
2: Hmm. It was such a sad place. I mean, you could just feel the sadness in that place.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. So now, let's jump ahead. We've closed down the the TB hospital, and now it's Woodhaven Geriatric Center. And things really didn't get any better from here. This was basically a facility that was for elderly people that had disabilities and dementia. So it wasn't just a standard nursing home. They had... Shock therapy also used there because they kind of figured this was a way that you could fix dementia or some of the other problems. Because just like we said, we're talking the early 60s. That was still, you know, during the time where you're thinking lobotomies and shock therapy and stuff could fix a lot of problems with people not realizing what we know today. They had also a bunch of uh, the rumors of some very unusual experiments going on there, which I didn't really find anything else about. Budget cuts in the in the 1960s and 70s and then all these horror stories of how patients were being treated eventually led to a closing down in 1982. Now, during the, um, the whole Waverly-Woodhaven uh, years, thousands died. Some say up to 60,000 between the two places, but as we talked about, we're going to try to get to the, the bottom of, of some more accurate numbers here in a little bit. But the guess through some people who, who have looked at the spikes up and back, they said at the, at its listen to the tour guide last night, they said at its worst point, and there were spikes where there were times where there were more deaths than others, but at its worst point, worst point, sometimes a person an hour died there.
2: Wow. That's so crazy.
0: And they said that they lost a lot of the original records because a lot of them were kept downtown Louisville. Mm-hmm. And in the early 80s, there was some uh, sewer problems from a company that was in town. They was illegally dumping into the sewer. It caused an explosion, uh, which I vaguely remember because I was in high school back then. And it did a lot of flooding and damage to downtown. And most of their records were destroyed because they were being kept off site because they yeah. were closed. So there was they had to keep them somewhere. And so they don't have access to those. And they said they can get them out of the state capitol, but because of HEPA laws, they won't release them to anybody because they're not family. So -hmm. therefore, they really don't know. But there's been some people do a lot of research, and they say if they had to guesstimate, they think probably closer to 8,200 people is the amount of people that died uh, from the time that the facility was open for Mm -hmm. uh, the TB hospital and for the geriatric center. That's sad. So, obviously, you guys want to hear about the ghost stories. Yeah. (laughs) The one thing I want to touch on before we get into the ghost stories is the body shoot. You know, it's hard. It's very hard when you're trying to use your main philosophy of rest and peace and fresh air to help the body heal. That's that's your main medicine. You know, the nutrition was a was a big one too, because they said the, the kitchens were open twenty-four hours. There were several. And they were open twenty-four hours a day because they felt like, you know, basically he the the said rubbing, you know, shoving uh raw eggs and milk down you constantly would, uh, you know, be a big part of this. Instead of having these well balanced meals, they were trying to do the right thing with nutrition, but once again they only knew certain things back then. Yeah. And you know they wanted to be able to keep everybody in the right frame of mind, and it's kind of hard to keep everybody in the right frame of mind when a person an hour is dying and you're shoveling them past, yeah, all these other patients. Uh, so what they did was they had an elevator that led straight from the uh, operating room down to the morgue, and if something happened, they would just put them on the elevator and take them down there. But when you have a small morgue which we've seen that could only really have six or eight people in there at a time and you got a person an hour dying that's not going to be sufficient
2: i don't even think it was six to eight people i mean well uh, they had they
0: had four drawers or three drawers in, in the one and they had three to four drawers in another so oh, okay um and i don't know how much of that's still yeah, original
2: it is so small in there i mean you can barely even turn around seriously
0: Right, and which is kind of surprising because you're building a TB hospital that you know is the worst disease ever at the time. Why wouldn't you have a bigger morgue knowing that, you know, you hope that you're going to do good things there, but the reality of it is you're probably still going to have a lot of people in Mm -hmm. the beginning. But So what they were doing is they had a uh, maintenance room uh, upstairs that they ended up turning into a a makeshift morgue uh, because it was a lot bigger and it could handle it. But originally... Because they didn't want to see all these bodies being, you know, carted out past these other and destroying morale, they decided they needed to do something else with them. And they had a basically a tunnel system that was used to bring supplies up and stuff. Uh, some of the employees would walk uh, from down the hill up it to stay out of the weather because it's it's like I said, this thing's up on a hill. It's not an easy walk. And uh, it gave them a chance to stay out of the weather and do this stuff. But as these deaths started really climbing and getting, uh, you know, one an hour in some cases, they decided to use this tunnel to take the bodies down to the bottom of the hill where they could be picked up then by an ambulance or a hearse mm-hmm. or whatever the case was. And this way the patients didn't see it and it would keep morale up. Right. That's why this tunnel eventually became known as the body shoot. Uh, as we found out last night, there is like a ramp on one side and it steps on the other side and the ramps ended up having a a little railway system set up on it, like a little, Mm -hmm. you know, track and and a a cart. And they would take the, like I said, they would, they would roll the body down there on it. And when it got to the bottom of the hill, they would send it, the gurney back up on this track system.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. But you know, that's, Primarily, unfortunately, that wasn't the reason it was created. Right. but That's what it ended I mean, up being like the used for.
2: Pulleys and the track were still there. I mean, yep.
0: Yeah, so, um I felt the need to talk about the body shoot because it's going to play an important part later. That's probably the most famous. When people talk about Waverly, it's almost always gets mentioned with the body shoot.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk about some of the ghosts here. Some say. Buildings take in energy, especially buildings made of stone, such as this one. And and anytime you're going to have as much negative energy as, as went on at Waverly, if that's the truth of buildings absorbing that, then this place has got all kinds mm-hmm. absorbed up in it. Uh, once Waverly was closed down in 1982, the hospital became a popular hangout for homeless and teenagers uh, even some gangs and stuff like that. So stories began to kind of circulate about when people were up there, they would start to hear children's voices. Uh, they could hear all these sounds coming particularly from the rooftop. That's pretty echoey type place. So, mm-hmm. And there's no electricity at this time, so there wouldn't be any noise. And this was before cell phones. And
1: oh, yeah. you'd have
0: to take a radio up there if you wanted to make any noise with the batteries and stuff mm-hmm. in it. And they would. Then it, they started hearing these loud bangs and footsteps in the building. Lights were starting to be seen in rooms where there was no electricity. Most people kind of dismissed these stories initially because, you know, it's a bunch of teenage kids partying and drinking. Who couldn't believe anything they got to say? But then some residents of Louisville who hadn't even been inside the facility started seeing apparitions just while they were. Walking by or driving by. Mm -hmm. Some of the stories that they started hearing now from these teenagers had a little more credibility when people who hadn't even been inside the building are sitting there telling you all these things are happening. So here's some of the stuff that people saw. They saw a woman with her arms and legs chained running out of the front entrance of Waverly. And she looked like she was trying to escape from something. Right. And then uh, she was screaming and... Uh, like I said, these people would just happen to see this as they're riding by. And, you know, they would call and report it to police or whatever, and then there would never be anybody there. Mm -hmm. So that's how these stories really started uh, taking the credibility when they start, people start calling police and stuff like that. And these are reputable people, not teenagers. Yeah. So other reports uh, said there was a little girl that would be staring out the third floor window. As people would drive by, they would just see somebody up there. So, obviously, they think there's a kid up there. and reality, there probably wasn't. Some these people who actually dared to go into the structure, they claim to see a little girl on the third floor, a lot of times playing hide-and-seek. And this little girl is known as Mary. Uh, she sometimes plays with a ball, and she ignores visitors, just goes on her merry way. Other times, she eerily kind of stares at people. And there's even been some cases where people say she rushes up to them And then when she gets there, she has no eyes.
2: Ew. I'm glad we didn't see that last night.
0: (laughs) Just black sockets is what they say. No, I'm going to
2: crack my britches.
0: Now, there's also Timmy. Uh, Most people are kind of familiar with Timmy. Timmy is supposedly a little boy that was around six or seven years old who died back when it was a TB hospital. He's usually hanging out on the fourth floor. And Timmy always plays with a ball and will sometimes play a little catch with you if you're a visitor, by rolling a ball back and forth to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of videos on Facebook of people doing this. I said Facebook, but I meant YouTube. And a lot of visitors will bring balls up there to try to communicate. Where some, Like some places, you would take like a Ouija board or something like that to try to communicate. People uh, bring balls up here. Of course, yeah. Ouija boards are not permitted at Waverly. That's one of the no-nos. You can't bring a Ouija board up there.
1: Hell
2: no.
0: But... You can bring balls and mm-hmm. and stuff, and I think
2: we we had a person that did that.
0: Yeah, we had a we did we had uh, we had some people bring uh, a ball up there to play with Timmy. Um, so you can you can play with him as far as rolling a ball back and forth, and then there's uh, obviously you've got the a sound of him laughing that people claim that they've caught EVPs of. They've caught mm-hmm. him ta- on regular tape. And as far as just being in the area, you can hear him. But that's always up on the fourth floor. So now you got the kitchen. Now, the kitchen, a lot of times there will be a man in a white jacket. Uh, I guess more like a a chef's Mm -hmm. type jacket or something like that, that people will see roaming around that area. And a lot of times you can smell fresh baked bread. Yeah, I've heard that a lot actually. And there's obviously nothing left of the kitchen. Oh, there. there's I mean, it's nothing just left the of room. anything. And Louisville Ghost Hunter Societies back in the day, they actually experienced this whole bread thing firsthand. They said that they were uh, all alone in the building; they were the only ones. This goes back to probably sixteen, seventeen years ago. They were all alone. This kitchen was in shambles, as you could tell. There's debris everywhere, uh, and they hear footsteps. Then they hear a door slam, and then right after that, they can smell the fresh-baked bread.
2: Oh,
0: That's pretty cool. That's very cool. It's like being at Subway. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, now there's uh, an elderly woman. She kind of roams around the hospital. She's moaning, and she's bleeding from her chained-up hands and feet. She cries for help, but she runs away screaming in terror as soon as somebody gets close to her. And most people assume she's probably from the geriatric hospital days. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: There's a story of a homeless man and his dog, which we talked about last night at the live show, but we found out more details last night, so we'll add that. But the rumor is, and they wouldn't confirm this last night, they kind of beat around the bush, but the rumor is that he was pushed down an elevator shaft. Um, Tina Mattingly, the owner, she says that, she has seen this man and this dog several times. She always calls for the dog and the dog won't come to her, but it just disappears in an instant. Doesn't fade away. It's just gone. I know the uh uh first tour guide we had last night, who's been doing this for 17 years, said he's he's never seen the dog, but he's heard him bark. Him barking and stuff, and he can kind of track it down, but he can't ever really catch up to it. hmm Um now, we were at the room where this supposedly happened, and there's an urban legend about some Satan worshiping and stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Now, the the tour guide couldn't confirm this, but he told a cool story, and it led you to believe, you know, the urban legend's probably true. So he said he was doing a, a, a tour, and uh, it was a guy and his girlfriend, and he said the girlfriend was really into the stuff, the guy really wasn't. I'll shorten the story. And uh, as they were sitting there, you got this elevator, then you got an L-shaped room that dead ends behind it. Mm -hmm. He said the guy moseyed himself in the room during the tour, and then he got extremely scared. He screamed. He ran out of the room as fast as he could and ran straight into a wall, which they make make you do this tour in the dark, by the way. Oh, my
2: gosh. Yeah, it is completely dark. You
0: don't get to use your phone or flashlights until they tell you you can, and you're in the complete darkness. So this guy ran straight out, ran straight into a wall he said he asked him what kind of drugs he was on because why else would you do that? Right. And uh, he said, the guy said, I got to the end of the room and there was a tall guy and he was wearing a trench coat and he had long, stringy blonde hair and he turned around and looked at me and when he did, he didn't have any eyes. He just had big black gaping holes. And the guy said, the tour guy said that, that you wouldn't normally think much of that. He said, but... The homeless man that was found dead with his dog in that area was six foot four, had long, blonde, stringy hair, and always wore a trench coat, even in the summertime. And the fact that he had died there was not common knowledge, so this guy would have had no way of knowing mm-hmm. that description.
2: Well, wow, that's so creepy.
0: And the part that I was talking about the urban legend The the rumor is that there was some satanic rituals going on up there. When someone asked about that last night, about how he actually died, the only thing that the tour guide would say was, all I can tell you is it was in this area, this is where he was found, and it appeared to be ritualistic. And that's all that he said.
2: Yeah, that's it.
0: So uh, it sounds like a lot of those rumors may actually be true. So now let's jump up. To the uh, fifth floor. The fifth floor is much more sinister than the other floors, and it might actually be the most haunted floor. It's also the floor that probably has the most urban legends to it. The fifth floor, as we found out last night, was one side was like patients that had kind of gone clinically insane because TB had been in their brains. And then the other side was children. Mm Mm-hmm. And we found it odd, and he even pointed out last night, it's probably not the best mix to have people who are insane on one side and children on the other side. It's probably not a good mixture. This is also the the part of the hospital that has the most famous room that almost any Waverly fan out there knows about, which is room 502. Visitors to room 502 feel despair as soon as they walk in, uh, people claim to hear whispers. They see shadows of people just outside of their, their line of vision. Uh, visitors have had the door slammed shut on them, trapping them inside. Visitors have been told to get out. And why is this? Well, 502 has a really dark past. In 1928, uh, the story is that a young nurse was found hanged in the room. And the story is that she was pregnant by a doctor. And... Uh, she was ashamed during the uh, this time, you know, back in the late 20s, early 30s. If you were pregnant out of wed- not wedlock, I mean, that was, you know, something that just didn't happen. And that's why she hung herself. What we found out last night is it kind of happened, but not exactly like that. So the nurse was found hanging But it wasn't in room 502. It was right outside room 502 in the hallway.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So it was only literally, you know, five, six, seven steps away from where. But she was hanging from a light fixture out there. Was she pregnant? According to them, she was not pregnant at the time that she died. But they did find the baby in like um, a sewer setup that they had there. Because each floor obviously had its own little sewer uh, system, But in the in the water treatment facility or something of that sort, they did find the baby. They don't know if she delivered full term and maybe it was a postpartum thing where she was so depressed uh, that she died uh, or, you know, took her own life because she was so, you know, fretted so much over the loss of her baby. Uh, but they did verify that she did have TB at the time.
2: Mm-hmm. Another interesting thing was when we all came up to that floor and we were standing outside of that room. um, I mean, there was a bunch of us. And we were all standing around. And then there was this, you know, empty spot. On the floor. On the floor. And the tour guide said, you know, it's interesting that nobody is standing there with as many people as there is in this room. And then she went on to tell us that That's exactly the spot where she hung herself. But literally nobody was standing in that spot at all. And it actually happened on the second tour, too, didn't (laughs) it? Yeah, Yeah, on the second tour,
0: same thing. There was just that. I mean, it was literally like a crowd of people. It it looked like a donut. Mm -hmm. You get a crowd of people with a hole right in the middle, and that hole was exactly where she had hung herself.
2: And it's just really weird because you're thinking, well, you know, that's just happened. That was just luck or whatever. Then we went on the second tour, and it was the exact same thing. Nobody was standing in that spot.
0: The other funny thing that we found out that room 502 was a bathroom. It's not, most people think it was, a, I've, heard, oh, it, I've yeah. heard it was a nurse's station. I've heard uh, it was just a patient's room, but the reality of it is room 502 was a bathroom. It had some lockers set up. It had some uh, uh, showers, and it had a couple of, of toilets set up. Uh, the 502 was the bathroom for the clinically, uh, clinically insane patients. And the other bathroom, which I think was 506, the other room, was for the the kids. Mm-hmm. So this was just a bathroom, basically. But it's, it's a decent-sized bathroom. But
1: Yeah.
0: Now, the other story, and they didn't really clarify this. I, I should have asked this question last night. But supposedly four years later, 1932, another nurse either jumped from the roof of Five hundred two, uh, or was pushed. It, it's there's stories both ways. Uh, so who knows what really happened? But that was the story. Let's get back to the young lady that hung herself. Mm-hmm. Um, that did say there was a little bit of conspiracy theory. Some people thinking that maybe uh, a doctor who was married had gotten her pregnant, yeah, and that was his baby, and maybe she was killed uh, because of that, and then hung out there to make it look like she hung herself but in reality maybe that was just a
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know just to make it look like she hung herself when uh, somebody might have actually killed well, her. Oh, so I, I know,
2: but how are you going to do all that with this busy as this hospital was?
0: Well, I mean, you're on a you're up on the floor where most of the patients are not right in their head, so oh, I well, mean, that's true. you could probably pull that off if you wanted to. But they say that you can see uh, a woman dressed in in white like a nurse before World War II. Roaming around up there, and it uh, could be one of these nurses. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So we talked about uh, most of the haunted stuff on here. And, you know, they didn't touch on this last night. But we're going to talk about the Creeper.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Last but not least, obviously the Creeper. But some believe shadow people are evil entities to begin with. Uh, What's at Waverly is way more darker than just a shadow person. Uh, This is, the creeper is a shadow spirit that's rarely seen at Waverly, but it's uh, got a pretty damn creepy feeling of of doom and despair felt by anybody who does actually cross its path. Uh, It crawls along the floor, it crawls up the walls, it crawls on the ceiling. So if you spot the creeper at Waverly, it's one of the most frightening encounters that a person could actually have there. Many people believe the creeper is an inhuman entity. Uh, a malevolent spirit that's uh, definitely not of this earth. And uh, it's said that demonic entities are attracted to locations that may have a lot of spirits, and Waverly would definitely be one of those places, Mm -hmm. so it could feed on the energy of these uh, dead spirits.
2: But it was cool because we did see some shadow people.
0: Yes, we did, and we're going to talk about that in just a second because I want to give it its own little segment. So with the creeper, maybe it's... um, you know, something altogether different than just a, a malevolent in, entity could be some kind of ancient spiritual entity that we just don't know a lot about. And uh, perhaps we will never will. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think some people have called it Big Black. Some people call it the Creeper. Um, there's all kinds of different things. But they didn't touch on that at all last night.
2: Yeah, that's one. I wonder why they didn't.
0: I don't know. But I would say the highlight. The night was they took us down to the, <laughs> uh, was it the fourth floor?
2: I think it's the fourth floor, yes. They took
0: us down to the fourth floor. Complete darkness.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, there was a, a full moon, and you get a little bit of that ambient light through, so you mm-hmm. can see a little bit. But they t- were teaching us how to see shadow people on that floor. Mm-hmm. So you got a long, straight corridor. You could see all the way at the end, which is probably length of a football field, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little less. But you could see an opening of the door where it was a little lighter than the rest of it. So if somebody walked down that hallway, you could kind of see their outline. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, when you're looking at, at a, you know, that much darkness, yeah. you, you lose it really quick after they get, you know. It's like it's like trying to drive in, in intense fog. You, the visibility is just right. not that good. And they were... Uh, Asking for volunteers who couldn't see it. They would just say, hey, just, you know, he he enlightened it. And it's funny because I was already thinking the same thing. Back years ago, they had those 3D puzzles that would just look like, you know, just a bunch of colors and stuff. But if you kind of stared mm-hmm. and kind of lost focus a little bit, an image would come to you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how they told you you had to see these things. That if you looked and studied and just stared if real you hard, tried hard, you're not yeah, going to see it. You kind of got to look and use your peripheral vision. And so we went down there and we would look and you could kind of see things changing down there, like stuff interrupting the light and there was nobody else in there. And it wasn't a lot of light to begin with.
2: Oh, no. Uh -uh. You know,
0: but you could see stuff move in front of it. And it's like everybody saw it at the same time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was so scary. And they
0: weren't, the the guides weren't leading you saying, "Uh, do you see this? Do you see? They would just basically say, keep watching. And you would hear everybody at one time, 25 people would just go, oh, I just seen, Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: so there were some people who didn't see it.
2: Yeah, there was. There were some people that couldn't see. So
0: he asked for volunteers to walk down the hall, and as they would walk down the hall, everybody else watching them could see stuff like almost being attracted to them. Mm -hmm. And, And your
2: crazy sister was one of them.
0: Yeah, and... Then, uh, and every one of these people said the same thing. How does it feel down there? It feels colder here
2: mm-hmm. than
0: it does the rest of the places. And it's no different than the rest of where no, we was. So no. There's no reason why it wouldn't be any colder. Um, and then as they would walk back, he would say, straighten your arm out like you're like you're you know doing an airplane thing. Just hold your hand straight out, arms and walk. And then he just looked and said, do you notice anything about the arms? And everybody was like, they're longer. They look longer. Mm-hmm. And he said that just started happening about a year and a half ago. No way. Um, that, you know, it, it wasn't something that happened before. But, yeah, everybody notices that. And But you can see all this different channels. don't know is it an optical illusion i don't know but if it is everybody was seeing it.
2: oh my gosh yeah it was the craziest thing ever i mean it freaks you out too some people like, said that
0: they felt like you know they were being pushed in the back mm-hmm.
2: yep that one guy said that but I, <laughs> it was really weird it was i think that was the coolest part of the tour for me yeah i think so. you could really really see that and then we had an incident i don't know what floor we were on but
0: we were in the operating room
2: oh that's right yeah and Again, I know I think it had something to do with Becky. I don't know. But (laughs) her and and Kim were standing over by this heavy door. And she
0: says that like y'all know who they are. Becky's my sister. And Kim is my cousin.
2: Sorry. (laughs) And this door is like heavy, rusted metal. I mean, it was heavy. And we we were completely in the dark then too, I think, weren't we? Yeah. I
0: mean, there was was enough light where we could see each other, but it was like standing outside.
2: Right. All of a sudden... That big butt door closed. And I'm telling you, everybody screamed. Becky was still there. Kim, Becky said she turned around and Kim was gone. <laughs> Kim had ran over to Jerry and about pulled his arm out of his socket. And I mean, it was weird because there was like, there was nobody there. Like, like there was, I mean... The only person there was Becky and Kim.
0: Yeah, there's no electricity yeah, so. in this part of the hospital at all. So there was nothing set up. We, every, Everybody walked over there and looked at the door after it happened. Yep. Now, the tour guide made it like it was no big deal. It happens, and his exact words were, yeah, that happens sometimes. Sometimes it's paranormal, sometimes it's not. We don't know, you know, when it is, when it's not. But this door scrapes the concrete ground. So when it closed... It sounded like when a railroad, uh, a like, train a, like a train, yeah, like
2: a screeching noise. Yeah, the
0: screeching, like when they, that metal on metal, and uh, because this thing scraped so it's not even, it doesn't even close easy, but they had people go over there and try to close the door,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they couldn't do it.
2: Yeah, man, it... <laughs> it, it,
0: it, but, but it closed on its own while we were trying to talking, and there was nobody over there. Yeah, period.
2: everybody was against the wall. I don't even know why Becky was over there. I mean, she was being, Brave balls last night or something yeah
0: but yeah she was over there right next to it when mm-hmm. it happens and she said flat up there was nobody outside that door
2: yeah so that was scary i mean everybody like screamed and jumped and everything like that and but yeah that was another cool thing that happened
0: yeah but i want to i want to thank scott thornhill scott runs a uh a batting cage in louisville He's we've known scott for a long time he hooked us up with a cruise back when i was doing comedy um, but my sister and Kim that we just talked mm-hmm. about actually went on that cruise. This is what, six years ago, seven yeah. years ago. And, you know, he's, he owns some batting cages and stuff and, uh, not too far from Waverly and his family has lived there forever. His dad had access to a lot of stuff from Waverly and he decided since he knew I love the stuff and we had the show coming up, he wanted to give us something special. So what he gave us was a metal clipboard that the doctors would use at Waverly and it still had some papers in it they weren't they were like more like uh mechanics type paper or uh maintenance people wouldn't you know patient, yeah, it wasn't stuff. Like
2: patient info or
0: nothing and then he gave us a book that's from the Waverly library it's got a stamp on it I'll, I'll throw some I threw some pictures up with it already uh on the page but when you flip it open just like any library book it's got the little card in the little pocket that holds it And the dates checked out are, like, from 1951, 1952. Um, That was really cool. Yeah, really cool. And then he gave us a metal bedpan. So he gave us three items from Waverly. It was awesome. And I will cherish these things because they meant a lot. And then uh, we gave away a sign at the... um, live event that had all the podcast on it. We all signed it and we put all the tickets in the bedpan and drew for it. I made Dina from uh twisted Philly draw for it <laughs> out of the bedpan. <laughs> so we had some fun with it, but it's, it's really cool to be able to own some history like that. I hope nothing's attached to it.
2: Uh, I know. I was thinking that same thing, man, <laughs> that'd be pretty crappy if we brought some home in that bedpan. No pun intended. That's true. But That's true. A bedpan. Would you believe it? Yeah. That would just be our luck. <laughs> Oh, my gosh.
0: So that was kind of cool. And then uh, we had another surprise. Uh, Kevin Cummings from the uh, Kentucky State Penitentiary brought us this coin that weighs, I mean, it's got to weigh three, four ounces at least. I mean, it's it's this big uh, golden coin, and it's got <gasps> a picture of the uh, uh, state penitentiary on it. And on the edge of it, it's got the names of employees there, guards there, that actually died in the line of duty etched on it. one of them was his relative. So that was so cool. Yeah, that meant
2: so much to us. That was a really, really nice thing. Yeah,
0: I put a picture of that up. That's already up on the site. Uh, And then last but not least, uh, my friend Bree from Nashville, who will be at our Nashville (gasps) show that we end up doing in October um, with um, the guys from Graveyard Tales. She has her own company where she makes horror Man, I need to say that better. Horror-related candles and melts. And, I mean, she does like melts that are in the shape of Michael Myers and uh, Jason and stuff like that. So, it's really cool stuff. Uh, but she reached out and said, hey, I want to make a candle for you guys and some melts. And these things turned out fantastic. They smell so good. Uh, I chose to smell. It's monkey farts. And... In case you don't know what monkey farts smell like, it's a mixture of like banana, coconut, pineapple, anything a monkey would eat, they put this thing together. It smells so damn good. Oh my
2: God. And it's so adorable. It's got glitter. Yep. Like on the wax. It's just
0: the oh. top, yeah, it's got the it's got the wax and then the top layer's got glitter on it. Didn't come across as cool in the picture as what it really is, but yeah, it's beautiful. She's, she's got these things for sale and uh at her etsy page so i'm gonna go ahead and post that but the name of the company is macabre m-a-c-a-b-r-e melts so look that up and uh, those are going to be available starting tomorrow on her website so check that out and if you don't like that one she's got all kinds of other cool stuff but yeah go check her out man we i want to show her support for helping us out guys you have been fantastic We love you guys. Uh, Before we end here, I want to play this little interview from Chelsea from California. And then uh, we'll come back and end this thing. Okay, I am joined by a listener who uh, reached out to me for some help. Uh, This is Chelsea from out in California. She's uh, been listening to the show for a long time. She's one of our favorites. And when she asked for help, I didn't really know what I could do since I really am not an expert in this field. But I thought I had some people I could put her in contact with. And the rest of it we'll get into as we get into the conversation. First of all, welcome Chelsea to the show. Hey, Chelsea.
1: Hey, thank you.
0: You're more than welcome. So let's start off with why you sent me um, basically a request for help. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what was going on in the situation with your house.
1: All right. Well, it first started, we just moved in about three weeks ago. And, you know, we moved in and it was beautiful. It was bright, no bad feelings. And I was really thrown off when, you know, the incident started happening because there was no bad for the house at all. But I guess the first thing that happened was I was taking a shower and I saw someone walk in and I have a, a white curtain. So you can see people, you know. The full body and you know i called out to my husband and i asked if that was him and he answered me from the living room and so that was the first instance where i was like okay this is not right and something's going on but i think a couple days later i was sleeping and side note i have night terrors i sleepwalk i sleep talk so Anything to do with sleeping, my husband's used to me waking up crying screaming. So that's not anything out of the norm. But um, one night I was sleeping and I just woke up really, really scared. And I was awake, fully awake. And I opened my eyes and there is just this huge black person mass. I don't know what it was, but it scared me really bad. And... Um, I felt very, very threatened. Um, and so I started screaming, you know, cause I was scared and there was something over me and my husband turns, turns over to, um, kind of comfort me cause he thought I was just having another night terror. But he, uh, said that when he looked over, he saw just a face above me. And he is a skeptic. He doesn't really truly believe in this stuff. You know, he's never really had anything happen like this. So for him to confirm it to me that there was something over me, and it was exact timing of me seeing it and screaming and feeling very, very threatened. um, He didn't tell me this until the next day, though, because he didn't want to freak me out. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, worsen the situation. But um, so I reached out to you, Jerry, and you put me in contact with Wendy. Yeah, let's and let's
0: stop there I, for a second because I wanna ask you a quick question. So uh your husband sees this thing. Now when he told you mm-hmm. what he saw, did it match up to what you were seeing at that time?
1: Not exactly. Um I saw just a black mass. You know, I didn't see a face, I didn't see anything, but he saw a face over me and it wasn't like on the side of my bed or anything it was up over me you know as i'm laying down and just really really close to my face so
0: So, was, was it only a face that he saw was there any other part of it or was just like a just a face right there floating by itself
1: all he said was a face above me he didn't really say that there was you know more to it or anything but Yeah, that's all he saw was the face, and what
0: I saw was just a big black mass. Okay, so then you reached out to me, and at first I really didn't have a clue what to do, but then I thought, well, if you just moved into the house and there's uh, issues, maybe it's a matter of just getting the house cleansed or or maybe some kind of protection, and I thought about, uh, we had a listener that actually came down to our house from uh, Wisconsin, A couple of listeners, but during the course that we were here and enjoying stuff, she started talking about protection uh, and houses and and, uh, what she does to protect. And I knew that was something she was really into. So I thought, well, I don't know anything else to do, but it sounds like this might be a good start. So I put you in contact with Wendy. And uh, Mm -hmm. so kind of give the listeners an idea of what you and Wendy talked about as far as some suggestions and where that took you. Okay, well...
1: She started out with, you know, saging our house and that I needed to figure out where the activity was mostly focused. And that was in our master room and in our bathroom. And so she suggested that I, you know, close it up and I really have to, um, she said, make a light, light something like a candle or some sort of light that I have to put in the middle of the room. And I just have to, you know, be stern and make it known that it's my house. And really, she just explained that I have the power to get rid of it. But um, I started out with the saging. And that's the next story when I had the lady come and sage my house.
0: So let's talk about that then. So you got some ideas and then you contacted somebody uh, to come to the house and do some things. How did how did this person uh, come to be? As far as how did you know about this person, or how did you know who to turn to in that situation?
1: Well, it's a coworker's sister, and me and that coworker always talk about this kind of stuff, the podcasts and everything, you know. And um, she told me when I started talking to her about it, I told her I was like, you know, I really need help with the staging because I've never done it, and my dad had done saging before and he had a really bad experience with it so I was nervous about going through with it myself just because I've never done it before but um, she told me that her sister does saging and that she would help me out no problem so she came actually I think the next day to come into my house and um, you know as she pulls up she comes up to my steps and She tells me, you know, Chelsea, I've been here before eight years ago. And I was like, oh, no, like (laughs) just confirmed already again. (laughs) Um, And she said that her friend used to live here and um, it it was a completely different house. They gutted the entire house and remodeled it before we moved in. But um, eight years ago, her friend lived here and she would always talk about how her house is really haunted and, that uh it focused in the bathroom, which is our master bedroom, so um she never talked about anything like a whatever I saw, you know the black mass, but other stuff such as an old lady in the hallway, um like children's handprints on the windows, and just really bad energy in the um master bathroom and um When the girl came in to do the saging, she, when she was done, she was like telling my friend, which she didn't tell me this personally because she didn't want to freak me out even more because I was already in my head, you know, but she said that when she was saging our master bathroom in our closet, that it was really bad energy there. Like she started sweating and she was very, very shaky and um, yeah, so she did the saging and it seems to be okay right now i haven't had any like really bad feelings or but then again i do have my dogs in here with us now and <laughs> you know so
0: were you having any problems with the dogs not wanting to come in or any signs from them that there was some instances going on that were might have been a little strange
1: um well we didn't have our dogs here yet at the time before this aging they came here after
0: okay but
1: um i do have rabbits and my rabbit was completely acting out of character he was thumping all night and they usually do that when they're really agitated and you know he just couldn't relax he couldn't lay down or anything and that was for a good two weeks that he was like that and after the saging after she saged them and everything he laid down like no problem so,
0: that's so pretty he was cool. more relaxed yeah so i know a couple of days passed. things seemed like they might be getting better i'm sure there was some hope uh, that that's, mm-hmm. you know, everything was gone. But then you had another incident that might seem minor to some people, but it seemed symbolic to you. So let's talk about that incident.
1: Uh, with my owl statue? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, I woke up one morning and my son, he uh, goes to a Catholic school and they had a church sale. And he came home with this little owl statue and um, it had, it's a, a family of three in we in the past we had named it you know the dad the son and the mom well one morning i woke up and i noticed that the uh mom was broken off and placed face down away from the statue and that just really just gave me an eerie feeling just because why the mom <laughs> you know <laughs> why and it just the way it was broken off it was perfectly broken off it um if it had just done it itself, you know, because it's in the bathroom, there's moisture in the air and everything, it wouldn't be as far away as it was.
0: Right. You know, and you sent me a so. pic. You sent me a picture of this, so so the listeners can get an idea. It's basically mm-hmm. like a uh, like a mirror that has the statues on top of it uh mm-hmm. correct so it's it's one of those little things you you see a lot of times around christmas time or stuff it's just a, a little shaped mirror and it's got the statue sitting on top of it and this one was completely off but like you said instead of it if it would have fallen off or it would have been right there beside it but it was laying away from it
1: exactly and face down <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> well it, it's like i told you i can't imagine um you're such a sweetheart. I've been talking to you for, I guess, probably about a year now. And, yeah. you know, I've—I've have doesn't seem like you've got a bad bone in your body. I couldn't imagine anything having an issue with you, but um, hopefully it was just some kind of a weird coincidence.
1: Yeah, I hope so. It just, it feels very personal. You know, everything that's been going on, it's, it just seems to be really focused around me, which I, would prefer it to just be, um, you know, focused around me because we have a seven-year-old son that, you know, it starts messing with him. We gotta, we gotta book it. <laughs> you know, right now I, I want to take care of it before it moves on to other things.
0: Now, you, have you been in contact with a lady who used to live there?
1: Um, no, not personally. I've been trying to get her to write you so that she can tell you her experiences here. But, um, my coworker her it's her sister's friend so she's been talking with her and talking about the experiences she's had and you know she um she told her another rumor which this isn't a confirmed thing but Orville has a lot of um have you ever heard about the Orville Dam? No. Okay. Well it took a lot of work and a lot of people died and um they have a lot of unmarked graves from the dam workers, um, and the girl, I think her I, her name's Jenna, She, the girl that lived here, she said that she was told that the field that's right next to our house was one of those graves, the graveyard that um, was removed. Well, so
0: I mean, that would kind of maybe make sense why there would be issues uh, from one family to the next.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, where do you go from here?
1: Well, um, I contacted our priest and I'm hoping to have him come out here and bless the house because right now it seems to have calmed down, but um, I'm just waiting. It's kind of hard to (laughs) be firm and positive with, (laughs) you know, it really scared me. It scared me really bad and it's hard to be brave because I felt so threatened and like listening to all the stories on your podcast and, you know, I'm a big fan of all this stuff. <laughs> and I was, you know, in my head, I'm like, Oh, if that ever happened to me, I'll be fine. But nope. I nope real fast. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: but. you, you had said when you reached out that when you started having these first started having these experiences that you felt, a, I guess, like a heaviness and a real bad, um, like, like a depression type situation, like it just was really gloomy for you um,
1: yeah. as soon as
0: you would come home and be in the house. Has that changed?
1: Um, It has to a point. I think that right now I'm just really in my head, scared, you know, but it definitely lifted a lot since we had it staged. But before that, it was very, very, just a heavy feeling and just a sadness that I was carrying around with me, you know, and it was only a couple of, days but it felt it felt like a long time you know that feeling just wasn't going away and it was scaring me because you know i can't i can't do that i'm a mother you know i'm a wife i have to pull it together but it was really really hard for me
0: well and you know i hope i hope everything changes for you and stays uh, going on the better uh path that it has started right now because like i said i know uh you've got a sweet family um You and your husband both listen to the show and both, you know, on the groups that we have and all that. So, I mean, like I said, never heard anything bad come out of any of your guys' mouth. You're just always super nice and whatever you can do to help anybody else. And so I know what kind of people you are and uh, hopefully that's what overcomes in this whole thing.
1: I sure hope so. And I'm really grateful to you guys for reaching out back and helping me out because It's hard to talk about with other people, especially non-believers. It's, you know, the negative feedback and everything. But just how open you guys were to me, it it really meant a lot.
0: No, it's no problem at all. Chelsea, I hope things get better really quick for you. And uh, say hi to your husband and little boy.
1: Thank you. I will.
0: All right, darling. We'll talk to you soon.
1: All right. Bye-bye.
0: So Chelsea's story is a little on the creepy side, huh?
2: Yes, very creepy.
0: She's a sweetheart, though, she and, and I hope they get this thing worked out Me with too. them because there's nothing worse than moving into a home. You're excited. You yeah. just got. just bought a house, and then you think something like this is going wrong, you can't even enjoy it. That's not the experience you hope
2: no, for. No, you sure don't.
0: Um, since this live event went so well, we do have uh, some others coming up. The next one, even though the tickets aren't on sale yet, they will be in the next week, but it's going to be July 28th. In Indianapolis, Indiana. It's going to be at 7 o'clock, and it's going to be at a place called Wave One Studios in downtown Indy. Uh, But I'll get you all the details as we go. Tickets will be 10 bucks a piece, just like this last one. And we're going to have uh, Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances and Shane Waters from Out of the Shadows Podcast. Uh, This is going to be super fun. This will be the biggest event that we've done because this place wants to do it right. They're going to get sponsorship out there. They're going to advertise it, uh, as well as all the shows. And they're expecting us to be able to pull in maybe 150 to 200 people. This is a cool room that's designed for these types of events. And uh, we're excited about it that they actually came to us and said, hey, let's put this together. And it's going to be a blast. So as soon as I got the event set up, I'll start uh, putting it out a little more Nashville. We're looking at October 20th. We still do not have a location. I uh, got a couple of places that I'm looking at. I want to try to tie that with a tour. And uh, we're looking at places that are close to the uh, Bellwedge cave. Uh, and we're also looking at maybe Loretta Lynn's uh, haunted plantation. So I'll know more. Uh, hopefully we can tie it with a tour, but we may not be able to Uh not all situations are as good as what Waverly was where you got it there, but we might be able to get something going. I know when we did the event in Cincinnati, we didn't have it tied to a tour, but everybody still had a good time. And then a lot of people made the trek on their own out to Bobby Mackie's because it was only about a half hour away. So, guys, we love you. We uh, never underestimate, and we never underappreciate you guys. So just remember that, and we'll talk to you soon.